Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Trugman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On today's episode, we have Yotam Schachter. Yotam is a coach, happens to be my coach. He is a facilitator and a teacher, and he specializes in emotional fitness and the art of change. In addition to his training and traditional coaching tools, such as adaptive leadership and internal family systems, Yotam's work draws from his experience as a massage therapist, a rabbinical student, an investment analyst, and a meditator. He helps his clients to find beauty, wisdom, and opportunity in their toughest challenges. He has studied with master teachers from all around the world, including Thomas Hubel, Erica Ariel Fox, Robert Gass, Richard Schwartz, the founder of Internal Family Systems, and Jennifer Garvey Berger. In addition to his own work as a presence tree coach, Yotam facilitates leadership development workshops with Mobius Executive Leadership, Cultivating Leadership, and Bridge Partnership, developing and delivering cutting-edge transformational experiences for senior executives. And in this conversation, we get into a whole lot about his journey, healing his own pain, how that informs his coaching, and we explore our working relationship together. So we go through what is keeping me stuck in my life or what has been keeping me stuck in my life and a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of what's going through his mind and through his body as he's facilitating my experiences. We start a little bit at the theoretical level and then we really dive into like what does it take to be a really great coach and this conversation is without a doubt one of my favorite that I've done I really think you're going to get a lot out of it. So take a deep breath and enjoy this conversation with Yotam Schachter. Yotam, welcome to the show. Welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, I've been really excited to have you on and really nervous like I've been having this I I have to prove it to my coach like mentor father figure thing going on and so I've been really nervous but I know that we're going to have a fruitful conversation and I wanted to start with you with the same question that I've been asking all of my guests I'm really interested in understanding someone's upbringing uh, someone's childhood and I want to know what was dinner like at the dinner table at the Schachter household? Okay. I got to settle into that question for a second. Mm -hmm. As somebody who has the privilege of coaching you, I want to get into your nervousness. I want to get curious about that. (laughs) I'm going to let it be. Dinner at the Schachter household. I was the youngest of three. And my emotional memory of dinner is mostly pretty stressful uh, that there was, there were 
five big personalities packed around a kind of small table and there just wasn't enough attention to go around and it often felt like a sort of fraught moment. Um, yeah, so when I, when I do my inner work, actually, I, I find myself back at that table fairly often as somewhere that I learned some social strategies that were like useful in that context, but haven't been that useful in a lot of other places since then. Yeah, and could you elaborate a little bit on what those were? Like, what served you then that you outgrew at some point? Yeah. There's a part of me that's sort of always on the lookout for, can I like say something smart and get some positive attention? And, and then that's particularly like just unpleasant now when it turns into can I like track something wrong that somebody else said? And in the, in the dinner table, like battleground, you know, being able to catch my big brother or big sister on a logical inconsistency or a factual error or something like that was gold. <laughs> that was, that was big points. And, you know, and being the youngest and I was younger by, by like a solid three or four years. And you know, I, I always felt like I'm playing with, uh, with a handicap because like, I, I don't know as much. I'm not as smart. I'm not as mature, you know, I'm not as worldly wise. So there was this feeling of like, I have to work extra hard to, to, to play in the conversation that the bigger kids or the grown up that the big people are having. And I think some of that has turned into a blessing and a curse as far as um, working pretty hard in my life to be somebody who has something to say, working, you know, studying hard in school. And um, I've put a lot of effort into being like as smart, as wise, as mature as I can. And in some ways that served me really well. And in some ways it's exhausting. And I've, you know, had to learn, especially say the last five years, how to like stop, how to put the brakes on all of that effort. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things that I'm thinking about. Um, it came up a lot also in like playing board games. It would be the same, same dinner table. And, you know, we'd be playing clue or something and like my brain just had not developed how to play clue coherently by the time I was playing it with my big brother and big sister and you know and I would do my best but I always had this feeling of like Ugh, I have a disadvantage and I have to work hard to catch up yeah uh-huh anyway that's that's what comes up right away yeah thank you for that and I'm curious, before we move on, because there's, there's so much more that I want to unpack with you. And I know, like, within the last five years, like, I, I want to spend most of our time there on the growth that happened in the last five years, probably, and what informs your coaching. But I'm also curious, what were your parents like? Like, was your behavior, was, would you consider it a loving household? Were you nurtured? Was it was it difficult for you? I'm, in, I'm kind of interested in the combination of like, what did you get that you needed and what did you not get that you needed? Oof. So the five of us that were around that table, 
were me, my brother, my sister, my mom, and a woman I now call my bonus mom, who was my my mom's. Um, they were never officially married, but essentially partner, a uh, very close partner for seven years. And it feels like terrible to say this, but it it was not a loving household. There were moments of affection, absolutely. There were moments of togetherness and cuddliness. But like the overall mood of that home was stress, that there were too many big personalities, too much energy, not enough attention to go around, not enough money. My mother was always stressed about money. And my mother and I have had some really powerful conversations in the last five years, uh, healing some of these things, but there were ways in which she just didn't, she didn't get the parenting that she needed and she didn't know how to show up to us. And my bonus mom, she and I are now really close. She's this amazing woman and she's incredibly wise. And she also like, it's a little complicated. She fell in love with my mom and moved in and suddenly found herself with three kids that weren't her kids and trying to figure out how to, you know, take care of us, how to be in right relationship with us. So, you know, I was, I was fed, I was housed, I was encouraged in school when I was suffering, there was somebody that I could turn to, but I had to like really ask for it to get kindness Mm -hmm. to get, positive attention and and often and i learned to sort of play the victim Mm -hmm. in order to get that kind of kindness it was a really healing moment between me and my mother when she was able to say to me something like thank you for asking for what you needed and my experience as a kid was that asking for what i needed was always like putting more strain on a system that was already at its limit Mm -hmm. And her saying that, and I was, you know, 33 already by the time she said it, but like the, the, the nine-year-old inside me could hear it. And it meant a lot to him to hear that. Yeah. So it, it really makes a lot of sense to me that someone who felt and feels a lot and didn't get exactly what they needed would end up becoming a coach and have this burning desire to give not only your clients like me, but I think the world, you have a view that like the world needs this. They, everyone needs to feel seen and feel heard. And I think a lot of coaches resonate with that. We, because we didn't get what we needed, we have this like burning desire to give it to the rest of the world. But I know that you bounced around a little bit before you ended up in coaching where you are. And I'm sure you use elements of it in different aspects of your different careers, but what informed the initial career choices that you had? Like, I know that you were a a math major at university of Chicago and then you had, you bounced around a few times. So go ahead. Yeah. And I want to slow you down because I would, I would phrase it a little differently around how this then informed what I do as a coach. Okay. I'm a really big fan of gentleness and I walked away from my childhood. You know, I would not pretend that I always live up to this, but I walked away from my childhood with an intent to be really gentle with other people um, or a wish to be really gentle with other people. 
And a lot of my coaching is not the burning desire you were describing to like give other people the attention that I craved. It's more like when I see conflict between people, I go into, I go into a bit of like red alert and that it's like, Oh, it's my brother and sister are fighting again, or my brother and my mom are fighting again. Right. And I have to, I have to like calm everything down. And when I see conflict inside a person, it's the same thing. So a lot of my coaching is attuning that like hypersensitivity to where is conflict brewing that I developed in childhood toward, okay, where's, where are like the tectonic plates inside this person grinding against each other? And how can we help the client be, be more gentle with themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's a little bit closer to the heart of like how my gifts are an expression of my childhood wounds. Yes. Okay. Having said that, yes, uh, I can, I can tell you a bit about the twists and turns of, of uh, how I got to where I am. When I finished high school, I wanted to know everything and I wanted to know how all of the things fit together. So I was a Ken Wilber super fan at that time. Do you know Ken Wilber's work? I know who he is. So, Okay. So he, he writes books with titles like A Brief History of Everything or A Theory of Everything. And that ambition was really appealing to me at that time. And, and there is, his work is this incredible synthesis of many different perspectives. So I was really drawn to his stuff. And I went to the University of Chicago because they had a lot of interdisciplinary programming. And I thought this would be a school where rather than having to like pick one subject and learn all about that subject, I'd be able to learn how all the different subjects relate to each other. And there wasn't a like formal theory of how all of the things relate to each other at the University of Chicago, the way there is in Ken Wilber's work, but there was a lot of encouragement of interdisciplinary conversation. And I could take courses that were cross-listed in different departments and things like that. And I had done really well in math in high school and I, you know, took AP calculus and I'd like test it out. And I, I did a semester of Calc three at the local university. So I, you know, I was like super math guy and I thought, you know, I might take a math class at the university of Chicago. I don't have to, I've already tested out of it, but I went to the first day of the math class or or even it was like before the class even started there was like what is this class about for people who are think who are trying to decide which math class to take and they explained that they were doing calculus in this entirely proof-based way so they start with the basic tenets of arithmetic i know this is more of the story than you are looking for but i welcome all i of enjoy it. it yeah and it does say something again about sort of how i approach the world and coaching and so on mm-hmm. So um, they started with nine postulates or axioms of arithmetic and proved all of calculus and way beyond calculus just from those nine. Um, And I loved that. And I had encountered like formal mathematical proof in geometry class in middle school. And I loved it then. And then I'd never seen anything like it again. And the idea that you could that you could show where it all came from, that it wasn't, 
that there was like that there was a foundation to math and that everything was built really solidly one brick on top of another from that foundation was like exhilarating for me and i took the class i like stopped whining about having to take calculus again uh having you know i did calculus or whatever um and i loved it and then i loved it enough that i signed up for like the next class the next year which was the even more intense proof based abstract you know um and once i had done that class the the proof based they call it analysis class i was like several steps down the road to a math major anyway and i figured i'll you know i'll major in math that will open a lot of doors for me professionally afterwards whatever i end up wanting to do and then there's enough freedom in the curriculum around that that i can just like take whatever fascinating random classes i want as like the rest of my college career so i did the math major and a minor in philosophy and a lot of philosophy adjacent classes like linguistics and um some political science and things like that and the big question that drove my whole college career was how do we know anything and math was this big uh, part of the answer but then also epistemology and linguistics and and so on and sociology or and like i was totally mind blown by the idea of like social construction of reality and i just was like gobbling up how do we know anything and Yeah, I'll tell you this part of the story. The closest I got to an answer there were a couple of times that I got pretty high and essentially had a panic attack of like falling out of reality and I was lost in these competing interpretations of reality and I I just watched uh Matrix 4 the other night and there's a moment where he's genuinely not sure what reality is real and it felt like that it it was it, i had this like visceral memory of those moments and after those moments and and the question of like how do we know anything became sort of high stakes personal question of how do i know like what reality is real what how do i know the difference between imagination and reality what became my anchor is my body mhm and okay wherever my body is like that's the one that's real and the sensations in my body are real and and the sensations of our bodies are the foundation of our known reality and we can sort of and that became the floor for me that all of the other bricks are built on top of and with that i suddenly lost interest in in all of the abstractions and so on and so forth and the big question pivoted then in in my last year of college the big question was okay so what do i what what do we do with our lives and that led me to the next several steps of my life and I, and i can i won't go into as much detail going forward my father was a rabbi mm-hmm. and in this question of like what do we do with our lives i was really inspired by his example and i thought the best direction that i can go with my life to keep exploring and answering that question would be to become a rabbi myself. And I knew that that formal rabbinic training wouldn't teach me all of the things that I wanted to know. 
in order to be the rabbi that I wanted to be. So I spent my 20s sort of like collecting different um, inputs to that as, um, as, as my like informal rabbinic training before I went to rabbinical school. That was a lot. Maybe I'll pause for a question. <laughs> it was, I really appreciate all the color and context and there are a million and one different directions we can go from there. But I want to, I think I want to focus on, like, I, I get a good idea now of how interested you were in knowing things. And as a child, you always had a, a big heart. And there seems to be this synthesis of like, with all this stuff that I know, and with all these things that I feel and I'm experiencing in my body, like, what's a productive use of this? And I don't know if that succinctly or extremely accurately describes like how you got to maybe the last five years. But my instinct was to now really hone in on your last five years and what's been the most transformational for you. Because even in the short, I've known you for about a little under two years, probably. I have, I have sensed a little bit of a shift in my experience of you. And I'm guessing the last five years, there's been a lot of growth that's happened and I want to focus on. So once you landed where you are in coaching, that has, that's evolved and there's been probably several iterations, but what were the biggest shifts that you were able to make and what has been most informative of like where you are now? Yeah. Okay. So just to, to very lightly connect the dots, essentially being a rabbi didn't work out that um, there was to, I, I didn't fit the context well enough to do what I wanted to do as a rabbi. And I went looking for where can I do like developmental, transformational, what do I do with my life work with people in a secular context that put me into leadership development. And coaching has been an expression of leadership development. A big moment for me uh, came through the Mankind Project. And this is an organization that does, they do retreats for men, essentially saying we, we don't have great examples of like healthy masculinity around us, a lot of us. And, and there's something about in many societies around the world, there's a process of initiation that helps men transition from childhood into adolescence, from adolescence into adulthood, maybe through multiple stages of adulthood. And that we're really missing something by not having those kinds of initiations or not having them in like healthy life affirming ways. So they've created this weekend initiation for men. And I, I went a little bit more than five years ago. So I'm stretching the window a tiny bit. And and then after that, the time that I was a participant in the initiation, you can come back as a staff member on the initiation. And I actually had a really powerful experience the first time I went as a staff member as well. And I'm going to, I'll tell the two together because they, they were related to each other. I'd spent a lot of my life looking for the parent substitute who was going to give me some of the kind of attention that I hadn't gotten from my parents and some of the guidance that I hadn't gotten from my parents. The like attunement to my heart, to my needs, and then guidance based in that attunement was really the thing that I was deeply craving. And when I went 
as a participant in the Mankind Project and, and received my initiation, the peak moment of that for me really dropped me into the pain of not having that. And rather than expressing that pain in searching for the parental figure, I was able to just feel the pain as an emotional experience, as an experience in my body. It felt like these cracks going through my body and, and like a bright light, almost like a lightning bolt or um, you see these beautiful people do things with wood and there's a, a crack in the wood and then they fill the crack in with like blue resin or something and you get this great contrast. And it, it felt like, oh, really celebrating these deep cracks in my being that hurt so much and just feeling the pain as a way of feeling more alive rather than resisting and hiding from that pain. And, uh, and I, I, I just can't tell you how liberating that was. And in the time since then, that coming back to my body and coming back to hosting the discomfort in my body and we've done this sometimes yes. in, in our coaching sessions, right? As, as a way forward, rather than letting the discomfort in my body drive me into action has been hugely liberating. And, and that just keeps deepening and keeps unfolding for me as a practice. Even as I'm saying that, I'm noticing I'm not like fully in my body right now. So let me pause and, and drop back in. Oh, sighing like that. Whew. <sighs> actually really helps me come back to the sensation, come back to the present. And, and I got to tell you, it, that moment was really unpleasant. It hurt like hell. And that's what made it a powerful initiation. That I was able to hurt like hell and, um, and survive and not have to hide from that anymore. So that was one big gift from the Mankind Project. And it, um, it really landed fully when I came back as a staff member and had a, a moment, sort of an aside moment with a fellow staff member, a guy named Dan Litauer, who's just this beautiful man and, and a friend of mine. And he led me through a process that um, helped me be the parent that I had been craving all those years and to stop looking for that somebody else and say like, oh yeah, there is a person who is going to take care of me and he's sitting right here. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's this guy in this body. And uh, that also, it sucked. It was very disappointing. You know, there was still some part of me holding out hope that like I would be rescued. And it was, it was also liberating. It has been liberating to keep coming back to that insight that I can be the parent I'm needing um, over and over and over again. And then, as you know, I, I use a lot of internal family systems in my coaching now. Yes. Uh, and that's a technique developed by Dick Schwartz. And he takes that idea of being the parent that you were needing and turns it into a science. Um, so working with him also... Um, helped blossom that core insight that I had with Dan at the Mankind Project. Mm -hmm. 
So here's where I envision our conversation going from here. I want to, I want to start at the abstract at a, maybe a higher level and to go a little bit further into what is internal family systems and what were some other ways that you were able to develop your somatic awareness and get into your body. And maybe even some personal examples of how that was helpful for you. I mean, you already shared, but maybe a specific moment in time where those were really helpful for you. Or if we talk about IFS, some parts that you, you make, make it tangible for the audience. And from there, once, once we have an idea of maybe the different techniques you use or coaching questions that you use to help people heal and develop the inner resource to become the person that they think they need in their life, I would love to unpack a little bit what it's like working with me and to just talk it through uh, maybe a little bit about my parts and the journey. I'm also really interested in unpacking the journey of we met a long time before I ended up actually becoming a paying client of yours. And I, I'd be interested to know what that experience was like for you. And then as a coach, like what's happening if you're tracking yourself while you're coaching me, what's, what's that experience like? And we can mm. maybe go into specific moments that have happened when you're coaching me. So I, I think first I would rather start with like, what is internal family systems and what are some other modalities that you find helpful in your coaching? And then we can zoom into yeah. me. Great. Okay. I think there's actually, I'm still on the last Topic. I'm realizing there's one more thing about because you, you you mentioned in the two years you've known me, you've even seen a further sort of arc yes. of let's call it maturation or something. And one of the great things that happened to me was getting laid off from a job. I was working for a company, Mobius Executive Leadership. I had learned incredible things from them. I still learn incredible things from them. They are uh, I, I, I tend not to speak in superlatives, and I'm still tempted to say they are the best leadership development company in the world as far as um, helping executives be, be more skillful at eliciting followership. And when COVID-19 happened and everything locked down and in-person programs were not possible, my role inside Mobius suddenly didn't make any sense anymore. And we sort of floundered together for a little bit. And then they very apologetically and regretfully laid me off. And suddenly I was on my own. And, and it, it's one more step of that process of me like letting go of somebody else taking care of me to have to be on my own as a coach and facilitator and figuring out what to do in this new like virtual only world that was really scary really scary for a few months and then um, enormously gratifying to discover that I didn't need the umbrella of Mobius over me in order to be like safe in the world. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the next step of that is going to look like, but I, I credit that moment of being laid off as one of the better things that's ever happened to me as far as my, um, my confidence in myself, my, ability, my, my genuine skill as a coach and facilitator, because the 
that like faith in my own capacity is, is a big enabler and probably contributed a lot to the maturation that you saw over the last two years. Okay, that said, you wanna know about IFS. You know all about IFS. Who am I to explain this to you? <laughs> but I'll, I'll do it anyway. We've all had these moments of part of me wants this, part of me wants that. I'm of two minds on this subject, right? I feel torn because I want to go to my friend's birthday party, but I also want to, you know, go to the carnival at my elementary school. This is like, this is the moment that I think that I think back to. There was a carnival and there was a birthday party and I was probably six years old and I really wanted to do both. And I was confronted with the reality that both just wasn't possible. And somehow like that has become the paradigmatic moment of internal family systems in my own mind. Um, as a modality, what internal family systems does is it takes those, those two desires or the part of you that wants this and the part of you that wants that really seriously and says, what if we just invite these parts to have a productive conversation with each other and to treat each other gently and to share openly? You know, in some ways it comes back to those two big questions for me from college of like, how do we know anything and what do we want um, for these parts to share openly? Like what, what sources of knowledge are they coming from and what, you know, what data are they bringing to the conversation? And what are their real needs? Uh, and what would satisfy those needs? And how can they compromise? And there's a lot to the methodology, but the core of it is when you treat all of the desires that arise inside you and all of the needs that are motivating those desires and all of the insights, all of the truths that you recognize, even when they seem in conflict, when you treat all of them with kindness and respect and you give space for all of them to really um, be heard and to trust that what they're representing will be received in the overall conversation, then they get cooperative and they stop fighting with each other and they stop trying to elbow one another out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about my childhood dinner table and if the five of us had all been able to trust that what really mattered to us would be heard by the other people there, by the, by the conversation as a whole, it would have just felt like a much gentler, much more loving, much more constructive dinner table conversation. So IFS is trying to create that more constructive conversation for, um, for what's going on internally to everybody. I think where I'm most interested, I mean, that gives a good high level explanation of internal family systems. Everyone can relate to having competing internal desires and to thinking one desire is better than the other desire. And so I have to shove down that other desire. And for, like in my personal experience, any fear-based or things that reveal my sensitivity desires have been repressed or shoved down because it, in my mind made me a less than male, let's say. Yeah. So with my peers, it didn't feel safe to reveal my sensitivity or that I was terrified of approaching a girl or scared to make a speech, like all that stuff. 
And so I think everyone can really relate to that. And what you're really adept at is combining that level of healing. There's like an intellectual cognitive, like I get that, it makes sense with the somatic awareness. And I think implicit in IFS is somatic awareness. One of the questions would be, where do you, where do you feel this in your body? But what other modalities have you found helpful for developing and honing in on somatic awareness and, and felt sense of experience? So in part of my circuitous journey toward rabbinical school that I then dropped out of, I went to massage school for a year and I practiced massage for a couple of years. And, um, and the same year that I was in massage school and spending a lot of time paying attention to my body, and I was working closely with uh, a mentor there, he was teaching me nonviolent communication and he was teaching me massage technique. And his name is Eric Shermer. He's incredible. I, I feel endlessly fortunate that I was able to study with him for that year. I was also working with a somatic psychotherapist. So it was just this like full on, you know, exploration of what is happening in my body all the time. So with Eric, one big piece of his core insight is that tension in the body, when we're, when we're holding tension consistently, it is fundamentally an attempt to resist reality. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about suppressing parts of you, there are like thoughts we don't want to feel or feelings we don't want to feel or desires we don't want to feel. And one of the ways to keep those thoughts and feelings and desires out of the inner conversation is by tightening our bodies in certain ways. And that lets us focus our attention where we want it to be. But in the long run, it comes at a significant cost. It's, um, it's one example of so many of these these techniques that are really great in the short term and then uh, exhausting and depleting in the long term. So Eric brought that awareness into massage that his job essentially was to help the client make peace with reality in their body. And he was often doing one of two things, either accentuating the reality that the client is resisting until they can't resist it anymore. And that like hurts like hell, but it hurts in this really interesting, compelling way. And eventually they let go or he was using his hand to take over the resistance of reality. So rather than you compressing your body through tension, he compresses your body with his hands. And now you don't have to anymore and you can stop working so hard. And then he gradually takes his hand away and you discover like, oh, actually not compressing is safe. And I, I, I could continue not to work so hard. And isn't that nice? And um, either one of those is opening yourself up to something potentially scary that you've like tagged a sensation as dangerous and you are allowing that thing that's been tagged as dangerous to happen anyway and discovering, oh, it's, it's not only safe, it's like liberating, it's enlivening. <sighs> Isn't that nice? Um, and by the way, like I can stand up straighter and I can, you know, move my body more gracefully or whatever it is. So that appreciation for what tension is and the relationship between tension and fear, that's been a big one for me. 
this doesn't start out as a somatic practice, but I've gotten a lot from my exposure to shadow work. And particularly I've, I've seen shadow work through the Mankind Project. And shadow work is, there are many things that get labeled shadow work. One of them is really tracking the fears and saying when we're doing something that isn't what we really wanna be doing, when we're doing something we're not aligned with in ourselves, um, it's usually because on some level we're afraid of doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of doing the thing that our conscious mind, our, our more mature mind says we ought to be doing. So my exposure to shadow work has been this wonderful tutorial in like the role of fear in shaping our lives. And then being able to combine that with Eric's approach to tension and saying like almost always where there's fear in your experience, there's some kind of contraction in your body just helps me, helps me track these things in myself. It helps me track them in other people. It helps me show up with a lot of compassion for those moments where fear is playing out. I'm better at it in other people and I'm getting better at having that compassion when fear is playing out for myself. And then I mentioned nonviolent communication that I learned from Eric. And, and this is another one that is, it's not, you can do nonviolent communication without talking about the body at all, but it gets enormously more robust and and transformationally powerful if you also anchor it in the somatic awareness. So nonviolent communication is among other things, paying a lot of attention to what are, what emotions are you feeling and what needs are those emotions drawing your attention to? Mm -hmm. So I have a need for creative expression. And when I'm, when I'm not meeting my own need for creative self-expression, it becomes this like crotchety, grumpiness that goes along with a certain kind of contraction in my chest and shoulders right? and my jaw and my neck. So being aware of the emotion, being aware of the, the embodied experience of the emotion also helps me honor the need when I'm lonely and I feel sad and my need for connection is unmet. There can be like this hollowness in my upper belly and my diaphragm kind of area. So those those techniques all then get folded into internal family systems for me as just more ways of empathizing with what the different, what the different parts, what the different sub personalities inside of a client might be experiencing. So before getting into now how all of this goes into your experience of a session with me specifically, I would love Mm -hmm. to, we'll stay a little higher level and then we'll zoom in with, in general, like let's just say person, random person, it walks up and says, I want to be coached right now. And you have no other context for it. You just know that they're clearly showing up because they want some support. What would be a way that you would structure a general session? Like how might you start it? Mm -hmm. Where might you take them through? What's the journey that they uh, are about to be taken on? Yeah. So one answer to that question, if I have like 30 seconds to coach somebody, then Erica Ariel Fox, who used to be my boss at Mobius Executive Leadership, um, she talks about the Voyager question 
and Voyager for her represents the part of you that's always interested in learning and growing. Mm -hmm. And the Voyager question is, how is life setting me up perfectly to learn and grow? So something is going on. I'm coming to Yotam. I want to be coached, but I'm only giving Yotam 30 seconds. Then my coaching is just consider how is this difficult situation setting you up perfectly to learn and grow? So that's Erica's Voyager question. If I have a little more time than that, then I want to understand what do you want and what's getting in your way? So that might be, um, this is also a question I learned from Erica. If you had a magic wand and you could wish for any outcome of our conversation, what would that be? And the idea there is to get past what does the client think is realistic and into just the, that deep heart longing of like, what is it that they want? And I'm tracking both what do they want out of this conversation and also what is it that they want in the world that, uh, that this conversation is meant to enable. And then I want to know, why is this important to you? And now we're back in like the needs issue of, okay, whatever the thing is you want out in the world or whatever you want in this conversation, those are strategies in order to meet some deep need inside of you. And I might have to ask that part a few times to really get down to like, what is this person yearning for that isn't about the promotion, that isn't about, you know, ending the argument with, with their colleague that's, um, that's really just about who they are in the world. And maybe we don't need to change as much of the outer reality as they think in order to address that. And maybe if we address that deeper need first, they'll have more capacity to change the outer reality. So that's step two. Step three is what's getting in the way. And again, maybe what's going to make it hard in this conversation, what's getting in, in the way in the world. If there wasn't anything getting in the way, they wouldn't be asking me for coaching. And step four is why is that important to you? Because it wouldn't really be getting in the way. It wouldn't really be an obstacle unless it also had their hooks in them as, in some level of, of yearning and some, in some level of need or some level of identity, something like that. And once we have all of that, then we're really often running to, okay, how do we have that like spacious, gentle conversation that puts both sets of needs, both sets of yearnings, both identities, whatever, the deep conflict is, how do we put both sides of that deep conflict on the table and find some um, mutuality, find some possibility for collaboration, for alliance, and ideally for, you know, for, for something that's more than the sum of the two, for, uh, for a, an emergent blossoming of potentiality in this person's life because they can recognize that these two things aren't fundamentally in conflict with one another. Mm -hmm. Would it be helpful to have an example of that? I'm speaking a little abstractly here. Yeah, it, it would be helpful to have a specific example. I'm, I'm also finding myself curious about how, so like there's the within a session component and, I, and I'm yeah. not married to a time frame, but there's like an hour. And then there's yeah. like, you might work with someone for three months, six months, a year. And then like, how does that unfold in different time periods? But we could start with a specific example first. So with you, 
we come into a situation sometimes of you wanting to be, um, yeah, there's a part of you that wants to live a life of like total contribution to others and giving and, and, um, you know, almost like a superhero who's, who's rescuing other people from the torment of their lives, which is very generous and also self-serving in a, in a bit of a backwards shadowy kind of way. Mm -hmm. And this part of you that wants you to be like living a great life and wants you to be comfortable and wants you to, um, be able to like kick back and, you know, enjoy an evening or whatever it is, um, have some of the material comforts. And these two keep finding new battlegrounds to bump into each other about, uh-huh. right? And they, and they have some judgments of each other. So the one that wants to be giving to everybody thinks the other guy is selfish. And the guy who wants you to like have some material comfort thinks the other guy is a little like unrealistic and has his head in the clouds and, um, you know, maybe arrogant comes up sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So making space for what are the, what are those needs underneath and what is it in your life that you're trying to fulfill by being the superhero who rescues other people? And can we honor that? Can we acknowledge that? And I think I see something on your face, even as I say that, that wants to like reject it's bad. It's a bad thing to (laughs) save other people for my sake. Right. It's a bad thing to have that kind of ego. And there it is that that desire is there for some reason. And we can't actually kick it out of the conversation and still expect you to live a satisfying, gratifying life. So how do we welcome into the conversation? How do we call in like what that's really about? Yeah. And I think it was our last call or two calls ago that that we got down to like, it just feels good to be generous. It was two calls ago. Right. Uh So when we bring into the conversation, it just feels good to be generous. And in a way like, yeah, it's selfish to be generous because of how good it feels. Then there's so much less for the other guy to argue with. And the other guy when we bring in like, okay, he wants material comfort and what's that about on some level. And we've actually spent less time exploring this, but on some level, I think that's just a kind of like, you know, I'm a mammal. I'm a human being. I'm in this body. I I don't want my experience of being in a body, in a body to be an experience of like scarcity and, and, and um, discomfort. Mm -hmm. Right. So So just coming down to some empathy with your own mammalian nature, there's also like, there's just less to argue with there when it turns into, you know, I want to earn so-and-so much money and I want to live in such and such a place. Then you can like get on a sort of political high horse and question whether that's good for the world. And it's, it is, it is excellent to question whether that's good for the world. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to discard in that questioning the empathy for your like simple mammalian, like I just want warmth and you know a place to be with my wife and you know a comfortable home in which to raise children someday. Yeah. So all of that, 
Um, and that's what I mean by getting down to the needs level and helping the parts, the, the sub-personalities inside you or the perspectives. I think of a part as a, like a cluster of beliefs and desires and, and, um, and needs and opinions and helping these clusters be in a welcoming collaborative dialogue with one another until eventually they like find a way to click into place. And then they're just one cluster that represents more together of who you are and what you need. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's what IFS looks like in practice. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Great. Sure. And yeah, I'll say to put it in like a shorter, my, my way of languaging that or what was coming up for me as you were describing that is when I, a lot of times, if I am not in dialogue with my parts, I have a narrative or script running in my mind or some sort of story about what that means about me if I care about uh, material wealth. So there's like, there could be like a tall, white, straight male guilt about it or, or something like that. And really, if I just get into the the need, like you were saying, or the felt sensation, which you do really well also is guide me into the felt sensation. It's really hard to argue with, like, it just feels really good. It feels really good to listen to that part and to understand what its needs are. And then to do that with a different part, and then having them in dialogue with each other about how they can both have what they really need. And uh, yeah, it just, it really helps build alignment. And so that was a really great example of how that's been successful with me. And that, that piece about it feeling good, I, I just want to really call that out yeah. because it can be so tempting to resist it. And, it. and we often have to get through this layer of physical discomfort in order to get to, oh yeah, just feeling that need or feeling that yearning actually feels really good. Yeah. I also want to call out two other references for people. Uh, one is Brene Brown's work is really helpful. It was helpful for me in learning to do this. And I find that her TED Talks and her books are really helpful for people in learning to be able to do this work for themselves as just a celebration of vulnerability. And that it's so easy to resist our own vulnerability. Um, and that by doing that, we cut ourselves off from a lot of aliveness. Mm -hmm. So she just has she her her work is a great invitation for people to start tuning into what are those needs underneath the surface behaviors and there's a woman named Kristen Neff who writes about self-compassion and her work is also I see you nodding and like oof learning to um to see those things that we don't like in ourselves and say like yes Yes, that's also welcome. That's also just what it's like to be human. That doesn't mean I'm bad. It doesn't mean I'm broken. Um, Kristen Neff's work is a great invitation to people also to, uh, to deeper self-compassion. Beautiful. I'm tempted to go down that path, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to my guns. And I want to continue to unpack our journey together. I met you right around when you were getting laid off from, I think it was right after you got laid off from Mobius. And not very long after, 
I think you were doing, you're doing, you call it test kitchen. You were practicing coaching and uh, using what, it, I don't know if it was new modalities, but you were, you were working some stuff out with other coaches or, and practitioners. And one of the early test kitchens that I attended, I think you just called out. I think that you have potential to be a great coach and I want to mentor you. And we didn't end up working together really like me as a paying client of yours until almost a full year after that moment happened. And so there's like the first part of my question is that like I've already experienced that is very common in coaching is there's like a really you might have an awareness as the coach that I needed something, but I wasn't ready for that for quite some time. It took me a while to come around. And so what was like the learning experience like on your end as someone who was just coming into like, this is, I'm on my own now. I got laid off from OBS and I have someone who I know is a great fit, but he's not ready for me. Like, what was that like? And then from there, I'll pause. I'll get to the second part after you answer this part. When we started, we had a handful of conversations that were me teaching you coaching theory mm -hmm. and you weren't yet paying me. And I was saying, okay, go read this book and come back and we'll talk about it for an hour. And that was valuable for me because I learn a lot by teaching mm -hmm. and getting to say, okay, like this handful of books, um, mostly things we've already talked about in this conversation, but also Jennifer Garvey Berger's book, Changing on the Job, I think was one of those, right? Yep. Um, these, are, these are just like great things to have in your toolkit. And then I got to have the nerdy conversation with you about how they all fit together. Mm -hmm. And that was really gratifying. And at the same time, there was something of the like essence of how I work with people and how I want coaches to work with people that you were really resistant to. And you were like saying yes to it with your head and saying absolutely not to it with your heart. And that got kind of frustrating. And at some point I felt like, okay, this I'm, I've gotten as much good out of this as I can get while you're, while you're resisting it and while you're not paying me to be your coach. We're just sort of having these intellectual conversations. And my recollection is I offered to pivot into more of a coaching relationship. And at the time you were working with somebody else who was more focused on helping you like build your brand and build, build your business. Yes. And really understandably at that time, that was your priority of just like wanting to set up the machine that's going to bring clients into your life. So what was that like? That was, oh man, I had so many feelings about that. Um, I really applaud your courage, by the way, of like, here's your podcast and you're, you're bringing me on just to like tell you what I really think. My practice was not really thriving yet at that time. So there was a part of me that felt sort of sad, uh, not, not getting the client and also like wondering whether I should be investing in working with that kind of coach. Who's going to help me like build my brand and so on and so forth. 
and I felt really resistant to that. And I, I wanted to do things my own way and, and doing things my own way has since worked out well enough that it was, it was a good choice, but yeah. So there was that sort of doubt in my system, doubt in myself that was coming up. There was a, a real frustration around like, there's something that just isn't getting through to this guy. And what is that? And how do I get that through to him? And then there was also, okay, Yotam, what is happening in you that you're getting so frustrated here? Mm-hmm. And I had to do a lot of self-inquiry on that. And, and when I'm coaching somebody, you know, I also have parts and some of my parts get reactive with whatever's coming up with the client. And I've learned how to sort of put those reactive parts somewhere else in the room so that I can have a conversation from the parts of me that are compassionate and gentle and curious and not, you know, fighting back. But I had to do some of that with you in that, in that mentorship relationship. And then also when you started working with me as a client, that some of that same frustration was there. Yeah. And I think that's your next question, right? So how would you phrase the next question? I want to hear you continue what the frustration was when you started working with me and, and really hone in on what was, what were you noticing in my energy or what was I resisting at first that, that brought up frustration for you. And then from there, I want to, there are a couple of moments that I have found really pivotal in my growth that I wanted to look at from your side of the table. What, what, how did you know that those were important things for me to look at for me specifically? Yeah. Okay. So I can, I can like remember what my body felt like in that frustration and I'm going to have to tune into that. And that's going to lead me back to what were the thoughts and the feelings? Yeah. Can you time. So like the, the surface expression of it was, is just this like, no, no. And underneath that, like this guy is doing it wrong. He's just going about this the wrong way. (sighs) Yeah. And we, we got to the word heartbreak. So even at the end of when we were having those mentorship conversations and I said, I'm done doing this but I'd be ready to coach you if you want. And here's what I would want to coach you about. And you were deciding between working with me and working with the other person. The last of those conversations, I said, I'm not going to be able to recreate what I said, but there is something of in my own life, it's been really valuable to know what are the wounds that opened me up to be able to work deeply with people. And I mean, already on this call, we've, we've talked about some of what those are for me. Yep. And, um, and that my ability to host my own broken heart has done wonders for my ability to meet somebody else where they really need support and be the coach that they need. And that what I saw in you at that time was that you were resisting really being in your own broken heart. Yeah. And I think I even remember some of like how that was showing up for you, that you 
had this thing about wanting to be seen that you'd spent a lot of your life hiding. Yeah. And you didn't want to hide anymore. And you really yeah. wanted to be like standing in the spotlight, you know, <laughs> taking it all in. Yeah. And you wanted to be working with clients who wanted to be seen. Um, and you wanted to be helping clients like take up a little more space in their lives and be a yeah. little more bold and be a little more ambitious. And because you weren't hosting your own wound, you were acting from your wound, you couldn't have empathy for the voices inside your clients that were also afraid of taking up that space and stepping into the spotlight. Yeah. So that was the thing that I really pushed you on in that conversation. And you got it and you said, yep, if I was going to work with you and like do the kind of work that you do, you're the person I'd want to do it with in order to work on that thing. But I'm going to go work with this other person. I'm like building my brand. So that was really gratifying actually to be able to have it land with you that there was something there to look at. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the most frustrating experiences that I have with clients is when there's something there for them to look at and I'm trying to reflect it in a way that they can see it. And they're still just like not willing to make eye contact with, with their own inner obstacle. Yeah. It's like resisting reality and also denying that you're resisting reality. And yes. that's like, uh, I don't, I don't know how to help you. Yes. What, am, what do you want me to do here? And then at some point you came back and already you were more willing by then to at least make eye contact with your own broken heart. And yeah. that was great. And I still, in the first handful of sessions that we did in, in that arc, had to like gently remind some of my reactive parts to, to like stand down. We had this image of you being the really eager child standing outside of Disneyland. Yes. And you're like looking through the, the gates at the attractions and you just can't <laughs> wait to get inside. And that your Disneyland was being a, a full-time working coach. And we've done a lot of work on, okay, what need in you, what yearning in you is that an expression of? And how can you host that? yourself how can you meet that need in this moment rather than manipulating conniving your clients into meeting that need for you by by choosing you as a coach i'm curious you know what it's been a while since we've worked on these things like what comes up for you now around those needs and um, how you meet them for yourself well, one of the things that comes up is the just incredible, I mean, you, you referenced Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion, being able to host those wounds of like, what if I don't ever make it as a full-time coach? Like, what would that say about me? And really sitting with that and whatever wound emerges from that question and just giving that wound a giant hug and hosting the sensation that I feel when I think that thought, when I feel that feeling has allowed me to, a, well, A, it's the self-compassion. B, it's if I notice anything in another person, I am hosting that with 
without my desires for them to then be a different way also. It's like, I'm able to say, I love me exactly the way I am. I love you exactly the way you are. And not from a, I heard Brene Brown say that on a podcast and that rings true in my head. It's, I really mean that. Like I can cry almost just with the way that I feel saying that. And that's a different experience than me just saying it as like, uh, it's good to be of service to people. It's good to help people. Like I, I've heard all that a million times. So now it's embodied. Mm. And yeah, the other thing that's coming up for me is that, you know, we spent a lot of time on me falling in love with the things that I'm most resistant to. And one of those is the boredom and monotony are the words that I use a lot that come with doing compliance work in accounting. That's been another, that's been another thing that intellectually I'm like, I, I get it. Like if I can really learn to love that moment, that will be of service to me. I, I get that. So the, the idea of falling in love with the boredom has, it's been something that's been very present for me, but I, like if I'm in the moment and I still catch myself doing this sometimes, but it's been less and less, which I'm really grateful for is I can find myself doing the boring task and then immediately making myself the victim of that circumstance. I would feel I would be my best self if only dot, dot, dot. I had 10 clients, 20 clients, I was surrounded by people who were also who shared my desires, instead of really falling in love with the, there's multiple facets of it. But one of them is like, I might not, I'm not there yet. Right? Maybe I need to skill up. And so like, falling in love with the process of becoming the coach that I want to become is one component of it. Then having the compassion, the self-compassion, which then leads to compassion for others around part of me loves being bored and stuck here. Uh, not, I don't even like stuck is not a good word, but like there's something uh, gratifying about doing something that just is easy and makes sense and doesn't have the complications of a human being and is routine driven. And like, I can really fall in love with that component of it as well. And then it, that translates into all moments of my life where it's like, if I'm on a day where it's all very, everything's frustrating for me, then things that I otherwise might enjoy doing, like cooking, for example, become chores that I'm also doing that I'm like this, I, I wish I could pay someone to cook for me, you know, and any number of different things might emerge instead of the like, slow down and like, wow, look at what a blessing it is to be able to make this food and the smell of this and the gift of being able to uh, pursue something that I care so deeply about while uh, having a job that is affording me to continue to search for all this stuff. And naturally what emerges from all that is I start to see the beauty in everything, including when I'm in pain, when I'm in, when I'm bored, when I'm sad, like everything is there to go back to your question. It's like, I don't think you said it exactly this way, but what is this moment or what is life here to teach me right now 
is then it just becomes a way that I live by instead of some thing that I have hung up on my wall. That's like a nice thing to look at, but I'm not actually embodying. Beautiful. So what it's like coaching you lately uh -huh. is we we've done enough of this work where the, the current of that like transformational power of just being with what is inside of you and outside of you is there it's in you somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk and I ask you some questions and my job is, is mostly just to surface where's the obstacle? Like, where are you a little stuck with yourself? And once we surface that enough of that flow is just available in your life that we like shine that spotlight, you know, point the hose at whatever it is that's actually stuck right now. And then I like sit back and just watch while you like rest in all of this self allowing and the reconfiguration that happens inside you as a result. And on <laughs> sometimes, honestly, it's a little bit boring because I like get you going. And then there are these like moments of long silence and like incredible cosmic things are happening inside of you. And I'm like <laughs> checking my watch and like, you know, I'm here and I'm trying to stay present and I'm with you. And as soon as, you know, and I'm like tracking your face and, you know, as soon as anything shifts and, and my attention is needed again, I'm there, but there's a little bit of like, He's got it covered. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and then other days uh, I'm able to like hitch a ride on that. And, um, and like the current, the current sweeps me up a little bit too. And it, um, I can't go too deep into my own stuff while I'm holding space for you, but it touches me enough. It's like a reminder. It wakes me up again. And then sometimes after our sessions, I'm able to work with whatever in me was getting stuck that then that like flow of transformational self-compassion uh, is needed for. So again, there was some recent call and I, I haven't told you this before, but there was some recent call where if anything, I was like a little bit jealous. You were, you were like so in it and you were able to sit with something that was really uncomfortable at first and then find like the bliss in your mm -hmm. body of just being present yeah. to that thing. And it was a great reminder for me. And I then took a walk and I was able to like, be like, okay, Yotam, if you can coach Mike into doing it, you can do it yourself. And I don't, I don't remember what it was in me either, but there was something that I'd really been resisting some facet of reality that really been resisting. And I just like tuned into that in my body and breathed with it. And, Oh, sighed with it and groaned with it. And um, eventually I was able to like find the bliss of just being present to that in, mm -hmm. in myself too. It's a, it's a real shift from the days of coaching you and having to do a lot of work of like holding my own resistance out of the conversation. Yeah. So two things from that. One is I love the idea of the coaching relationship being equally nourishing for both sides and for whatever my breakthrough is 
or whatever I might be struggling with is also an invitation for you to look inward and with the same struggle or resistance in yourself. I, I've really been noticing that a lot in the clients that I've been working with is <laughs> I can, from, uh, from my side of the table as a coach, I can, I'm really good at, now I am, at being really compassionate for where they are and letting them sit in the discomfort of wherever they're stuck and giving them maybe a couple of questions to sit with and, and ways to uh, be with their experience of where they are. And then I immediately that night will go back to like writing those prompts down for myself and seeing where is that showing up for me as well. So I just wanted mm -hmm. to name that component of coaching is like, there's something about it where like the clients that, sh that show up for us are always, almost always probably highlighting something that we need to pay attention to within ourselves. Yeah. And then the second part. Just a cute, a cute thing on that. Uh, Thomas Hubel, who is a great teacher of therapists and coaches, says early on, you need great teachers and great therapists and great coaches. And then later, you need difficult clients. And that's, that's how the growth happens. So mm. I'm glad you're finding your difficult clients. Yeah, beautiful. Sorry, I cut you yeah. off though. What was the second thing? So the, the second thing, I, I heard you... I've listened to the, the episode that you did with our friend Andy Cahill on the Wonder Dome a few times now. And you said, I forget who it's attributed to, but we are the unfinished. Is mm. the is the Xander Grashaw. Xander Grashaw. And I I first want to honor, like it seems like you and I are we're in places that we're very content with and we've a lot of growth has happened in the in recent memory really probably this past year and also the acknowledgement of like we are the unfinished i want to know how that's showing up for you like what where do you see as your next growth edge and then mm. if it shows up for you also what what's our in our working relationship what's our next growth edge hmm those are great questions. Um, one area where I feel very unfinished is as a father. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a four-year-old son and I love him to death. And I find parenting really challenging. Mm -hmm. And he, um, my son's autistic. And that comes with some remarkable gifts and there are things that come so easily to him that most other kids struggle with and you know the quality of conversations that we can have is astounding for a four-year-old and it also comes uh, with some real challenges and the difficulties for me in parenting him for my wife in parenting him and she she's very much the front line and, and I'm like doing my best to keep up and and to support the work that she does as his mother. There's just, there's a lot in there um, where I notice myself still going into contraction, going into fear, going into resisting reality, uh, rather than being able to show up to my home life with the same open heart that I'm usually able to bring to a client. Mm -hmm. That is one growth edge. Within my professional life, I'm writing a book. 
And in writing a book, I am learning how to write a book. And that has been a lot of growth edges sort of stacked on top of each other. It's, um, it's interesting challenges. And in the long run, I have aspirations of working with, with organizations as the client and to be able to do the same kind of hosting the hard conversation, hosting the, the genuine needs and beliefs that I do with an individual person, to do that with a team or with a whole company and say, how do we create a more transformational collective conversation? Mm-hmm. And there are any number of skills that I'm still learning for how to do that on those, on those larger levels. I, I, um, I have a few clients. I'm very grateful for a few clients where I get to work with a team uh, and see what change is possible there and, you know, cascade that through the team's whole organization. Yeah, I think one of the biggest growth edges that I face on that is not actually the work in the room of, of holding space for the complexity, but getting all of the details right before and after mm-hmm. uh, in interfacing with an organization in order to create the safety that lets the, the powerful conversation happen. Yeah. Are those the kinds of growth edges that, you know, yeah. that you're looking for in this? Great. Yeah. And then I'm curious for... Let me us. throw in one more. Okay, sure. I feel like I have one more after every question you ask. Forgive me for that. I'm really trying to do a lot of work on my own white supremacy and male supremacy. And uh, that is a way of, of being unfinished that is really easy to hide from. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to forget about. And I am... Um, like I'm bothering to interrupt you to add it to the list, partially just to keep it front of mind sure. for myself. I think that it's something that a lot of us in positions of privilege need to keep reminding ourselves we're unfinished on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then what's unfinished for, for us as client and coach? Yeah. I think that's really up to you. It's a yeah. question of where do you want to go next? <laughs> should have expected this is what you're very adept at doing of course it's up to me (laughs) why would that be up to you i think one of my favorite things especially of late about working with you is that i don't have a good answer to that question and then within five to ten minutes of talking to you you're able to tease apart what it what it is just by just by talking it out there's there's always something there's always some way that i'm unfinished and for whatever reason, you seem to get me really well. And we're able to get there. And uh, I think ultimately, my, my long-term aspiration, first of all, I, I'm very loosely tied to what that even looks like right now. I've never been more open to like, I have no idea where this is going. I, don't, I wouldn't say, like, say I'm this type of coach. I'm really just inviting in anything that moves me and and is helping me grow as a person without being attached to the idea of like, this is the coach I think I should be. And working with you has helped me deepen, deepen that and feel this wonderful blend of I'm, I'm continuing to answer that calling and that fire within me with, I am really, really grateful for where I am at this very moment. And so it's like, how can I just continue deepening those things? Because Mm. 
one of the, what I'm afraid would happen is if I stopped working with you is that I would slowly revert into giving the material part of me more of, uh, it would be like, let's just grow the business as fast as possible. And that's the part that, that get, that it screams the loudest probably, but there's a deeper knowing in me that like, if this takes five years, I'm going to be a lot happier doing it this way. And even just saying that felt really good is like, there's, there's a, there's a thought in the business world. Like if I want this badly enough, like pick a date and write it on your calendar. Like I will be coaching full time by November 1st, 2022. And I get, I get why that makes sense, but it, it just hasn't resonated with me. And working with you has helped me realize like doing it my way is, is the right way. It's not like there isn't a right way. My way is the right way. And so I just want to continue building that foundation so that I don't revert to uh, this is what it means to be successful, where like you've helped me continue to tap into that deeper inner knowing that I have. And Mm -hmm. that's, and that has already, I've already seen that that's paid off. You didn't say you bet on yourself, but like you didn't invest in that business coach for yourself. You trusted, like if I continue to build the skills that are moving me, then I'm going to get the clients I want to work with. And that's more important than having this amount of money from my practice at this time or, you know, something like that. So I don't know how much that answers the question, but that's, that's where I'm at with our relationship is like, it's been working so fucking well. Why would I stop? I'm growing a lot. I'm going to keep, let's keep doing this. Yeah. So even as you say that, it starts to give me like some clues about what the next chapters might look like. Mm -hmm. If I'm right that this is where it's going to go, it'll get there in the right time. Yes. And and I feel a little hesitant to say anything because I don't want to try to hurry the process. Mm -hmm. Right. But one thing is, you know, that um, take my time, do it my way versus get more clients, get more money right now. I mean, there, that's still an argument in your head. And at yeah. some point, you know, like it's, it feels like we're in kind of the, the beginning of the second act of the buddy cop movie with those two voices where they're, they're working together. They don't quite trust each other yet. And eventually we're going to get to the third act where they would never want to work with anybody else. Right? Yeah. That'll happen. That'll happen in time. And just continuing to give them opportunities to listen to each other and trust each other. And, you know, and in the way you framed it just now, there is a bit of a question for me of, okay, what's awesome about the money and and success voice, right? What do we celebrate about that part of you? And what does he get to contribute to the collaboration rather than being, you know, defeated by the other guy? So that's one big inquiry. On a process level, I see that where you're at is like, we keep tapping into that that like flow of transformational self-compassion and there's like bliss there. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, play that game for all it's worth. And I think there is another game that's going to come after that one's almost become boring. Like 
that you, you're you're gonna do that until like okay yeah you know there it is what what else has to happen here and i have two guesses about what that might be one is the more you have that healing experience for yourself that that feeling of of just like coming into your own solidity and clarity and and less inner conflict um that's going to set you up for just deeper and deeper curiosity about your clients Mm -hmm. and it'll be less and less about you and more and more of just like okay what is this person's experience and what's amazing about their experience exactly the way it is and there's like an eagerness that you bring to that question now that I think is going to subside yeah. in time as like transformation becomes a little more normal. You're just like, oh, right. Transformation is this thing that happens. It's just the nature of being alive rather than being this like special occasion within aliveness. Yes. Yeah. Maybe it, maybe I sort of combined the two that I was thinking of in, into one there. So one expression of that is just like a really wide open curiosity about what's going on for the client. And another expression of that is rather than like almost a giddy joy with those transformational moments, it's going to turn into like an old man's satisfaction of like being in your rocking chair with those transformational moments. Yeah. Um, And I want to put an asterisk on that because that that might be where this goes for you. It also might be that that's some of my bias coming in. And I definitely have a bias in favor of that like quieter gratification rather than the like, woohoo, life's a party kind of (laughs) And there are other people who really in the fullness of their maturity just have a, a bubblier kind of joy than is comfortable for me. So um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Your instinct sounds good. And I actually think that this is a good, we put a pin in this part of it. And the, the next, we already discussed that we're going to do another podcast together where you're just coaching me and we're recording a normal session. So I think this is a good teaser for what might emerge when we do a, a coaching session together. And I'm excited to release that as well. But as we begin to close up this conversation, do you have something? I've got the one more again. I'm sorry. Let's, I've always let's hear got it. the one more. Something is going to come along and just upend your life. Something terrible is going to happen because always like something, something hard will show up again. Mm-hmm. And all of the skills that you've learned for facing facing things with self-compassion, facing things with an open heart are all going to feel totally inadequate for whatever that next thing is. And we can't anticipate what it is now. And hopefully you'll have me or some other coach there with you just for like starting over from scratch when the moment comes to totally start over from scratch. Sorry if that is a total downer to, to end on, but it it felt incomplete to me to be like, exploring the spiritual development and maturation without also (laughs) recognizing that like sometimes life just flips the table on us. I'm going to get knocked on my ass probably many times. So not, it's not uh, putting a damp in the mood, but 
that said, so I wanted to add at the very end of every episode, I asked the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And I'm interested in for you, not for like a broad societal level, like what is how would you for Yotam describe what constitutes a meaningful life? So it's not totally separate from the broad societal impact kind of thing. But my father was 60 years old when I was born. And he, he was an old man for most of my life. And he passed away a number of years ago. So I got this close-up view of somebody at the end of his life and looking back on his life. And he was an incredible man. We could have spent this whole time talking about all of the things that he did. So this image of like, someday I'm going to be an old man in my rocking chair and I'm going to sit by the fire and I'm going to reflect on how I lived and imagining what that feels like in my body Mm. and imagining like when, when that's what's happening, will it, will I feel satisfied? Will I feel at peace with myself or will there be these like burrs inside of me, these sharp points inside of me of the, the regrets of the things I didn't do or the um, embarrassment about the mistakes that I made and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So one answer of a meaningful life is um, a life where I'm at peace with myself, a life where I can spend a lot of my time just resting in Um, enjoying my own company, you know, enjoying just being, being a mensch. Yeah. Um, Enjoying like being a mammal. And because we live in uh, a complex and, and deeply wounded and deeply wounding society. And because I try to live with my heart open to those wounds, in order to rest in that kind of gratification, I, I, I have to also be of service to other people. And I love my clients. I love my individual clients, but I'm not working with them for their sake. I'm working with them as part of the overall project of creating a healthier world. And I believe that a world with more people who know how to make hard choices from like resting in deep self-compassion is a healthier world. That's where my, my contribution, my need for contribution gets met. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I want to, I want to wrap up this episode by just sharing my, my gratitude for you. And I'm going to actually start with, you mentioned her before Jennifer Garvey Berger. She left you a testimonial on your website that really, I think, perfectly describes you. So I want to read that and then I'll share my experience of working with you. And her testimonial was as follows. I find in Yotam a magical and unlikely union of elements that are rare individually and almost unheard of in combination. He has a big brain that coordinates disparate theories and approaches with ease. He has an extraordinary heart that instantly creates safety and connection. He has a connection to spirit, to body, to the ephemeral that allows him to access new levels of insight and possibility. This leads Yotan to be a profound listener, a deeply curious and insightful question asker, 
and a keen and unusual seer of patterns. He pushes, mirrors, offers insight, all while holding the space for mutual growth and transformation. And my experience of you has been, I couldn't possibly put it in better words than that. You have this ability. One story that I make up about you is that if I were as smart as you intellectually, and my brain was going at your level, and my heart was as wide open as yours, I would start to get really frustrated with the way that the world is and would not be able to meet it with the level of compassion that you are. You have a way of taking all of these, the way that she termed it, disparate theories and like synthesizing it down into something that is palatable for us regular <laughs> humans who, who don't operate at your level. And I think it takes a lot of courage to be able to live the life that you're living. And it has, I think your presence is naturally transformational for anyone who's lucky enough and fortunate enough to come into your orbit. So um, I'm deeply grateful that I have the privilege to work with you as my coach. And I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to have you on my podcast and I could share your gifts with the world. And um, I'm super excited to see wherever the rest of our lives go together. I know that we've got lots of growing left to do, but for now I'm extremely, extremely grateful for where we are in this very moment. Thank you, Mike. Um, um, I've got a big smile on my face and I'm someone who is uncomfortable with praise and appreciation. So I've gotten to spend the last minute breathing deeply and like <laughs> feeling my whole core tighten up and um, <sighs> I'm taking it in. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. You're very welcome. And to all of the listeners, whenever you're listening, have a great rest of your day or evening and take good care. Peace. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.